0: I want to thank you all for being here. Apparently no one told you that Labor Day is when people skip church, okay? You guys, you guys are just not, you're not in the in crowd, okay? The in crowd of churches knows that Labor Day, you just don't go to church, but there you guys all are. Callous people are weird, so it's wonderful, wonderful to serve a church like this, um, uh, I just want to reiterate. Uh, first of all, mission guys, you guys really blessed us. My goodness, what an amazing testimony! Uh, thank you guys so much for sharing. Uh, second, for for Kevin and for for John, the financial things uh, we offer here is it's it's so good. Uh, Kevin and John both are, are fantastic guys, and if you have, have budgeting issues, whatever, please come to our Thriving Workshop next, next, uh, uh, on the fif- 15th, and please sign up for Financial Peace University. My wife and I have been blessed amazingly by doing that, so please do that. Um, uh, today, guys, we're finishing up our series called The Tension is Good. And if you're visiting with us, we've been looking at seemingly contradictory statements in the Bible, help, hoping to find the truth between them. Uh, today, like Suzanne said, the, the main thing is grace is the answer to God's wrath and God's love. So here, here's a, here are a couple questions that I want you guys to think about Is God a God of judgment or forgiveness? If He's a God of judgment, why is there a heaven? If he's a God of forgiveness, then why is there a hell? Interestingly enough, we, never, we rarely question why a wrathful God would send people to heaven, right? We always ask, why, how could a loving God send people to hell? We always ask that. But uh, the, the, both questions need to be asked. See, on this extreme over here, we have extreme number one. Over here, we have uh, God's wrath. And over here we have God's love, the two extremes. And we, as we've seen in this series, the truth is always in the tension between the two. But I want to talk about today what is God's dilemma, his problem, his major issue is this. How do I maintain justice while still demonstrating love to his people? How do I do that? Uh, how do I look at the sin of the world? And look at my love for people and reconcile the two. What do I do? God is asking. Well, option number one to solve this problem is that he could send everyone to hell. Okay? He could come all the way over to this extreme over here and send everyone to hell and he would be doing no one any wrong. Okay? Okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 said. Don't take this lightly. guys, we operate like this every single day. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are thousands of laws in American law that if you break one of them, you go to jail. It doesn't matter if you follow the other 999, whatever. If you break one, you go to jail. Um, I started two new fatherhood classes in jail this week, and guys are in there for all kinds of things. One, one guy is in there in my class. He's in there for human trafficking. How horrible. Human trafficking, selling other people, that is what he's in jail for. He's in my class. Now the, uh, uh, you know, on, but if you take that away, he's actually a pretty normal guy. He really is. I mean, he pays his bills. He went to work. <laughs> he went to work, um, if you call that work. Uh, you know, He put food on the table. He helped out a friend in need a couple times. And yet, none of those things matter, right? I mean, you get no credit whatsoever for doing the good things you're supposed to do. Uh, I, I mean, if a cop catches you doing 55 and a 35, but see, on Nicholsville Road, it's 35 and a 55, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Um, if, you, if a cop pulls you over going 55 and a 35, it doesn't matter if you have obeyed the speed limits the other 99% of the time. It doesn't matter you get a ticket. That's the way we operate. And yet we think that God's justice is so different. We think that God's just so different, that he isn't like an earthly judge, that, that he'll actually take all of our good stuff into account when looking at our bad stuff. Well, you, you, know, you broke the thou shalt not lie commandment, but because you told the truth you know, at least 85% of the time, you're good. No. Even the New Testament says this, if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. And that's why God could send every one of us to hell and not do any one of us any wrong because all of us have done things deserving of hell. We have to understand that. All right? you say, well, you know, God doesn't have to. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Well, you know, and here we see God's dilemma. You know, what do I do? God says, I love my creation. I love my people. Okay? I I don't want to see them burn in hell but I'm also a God of justice. I can't just sweep the sin of the world under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. I can't look at the liars and the murderers and the, the adulterers and the terrorists and the thieves and just pretend that they don't exist. In fact, if any judge looked at a convicted offender, someone broke into your house and stole your stuff, or someone hurt one of your loved ones, and they catch them, and the judge, they're standing there before the judge and there's been evidence that they did it. And you're sitting in the courtroom and the judge looks at him and says, well, no doubt you're guilty. But as long as you promise not to do it again, I think we'll just kind of forget about it. You would be calling for that judge's head because there's no justice A judge that did that would not be sitting on the bench very long, and neither would God be sitting on the throne of heaven if he operated that way. So this is God's dilemma. Someone who would let the guilty go free is as bad as a guilty one. Okay? So he could send us all to hell if he wanted and not do us any wrong. But on the other hand, the other extreme is what is called universalism. Let everyone off the hook. Universalism. Everybody say universalism. Okay, John. First, John four sixteen says, "God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them." Okay, the, this extreme right here is very, very popular in America today because we don't like to think that we can. We're possible. We're that we're uh, able to do anything wrong. And w- how many of you guys have uh, uh, watched The Bachelorette? They, this got made really, real headline all, waves several weeks ago. Well, the girl. Um, was asked by a guy on there who was a Christian uh, about her sexual activity. And she's. I, I took a screenshot of, a, of the article here on, on the Christian Times. She says this, "...regardless of anything that I've done, I can do whatever." I sin daily, and Jesus still loves me. It's all washed, and if the Lord doesn't judge me, it's all forgiven. Then no other man, woman, anything can judge me, Hannah B. told Entertainment Weekly after the promo aired. Nobody's going to judge me. I won't stand for it. So this is a girl, it's clearly someone who has no idea about God's grace. And, and before I go too far, um, I, I don't know how I would have, you know, at, at age 22, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here talking about her, because I think we've all said really dumb things, and, if it, and, and I'm just glad that the dumb things I've said have not been spread all over the Internet and, 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 and everything, because, man, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 it's not fair to put her on, in the spotlight like that. It's, it's not fair, and, and I'm not, I, I wish her the best. I really do. Um, but interestingly enough, whenever someone talks about <clears throat> judging me, I've noticed it only comes from people who know what they're doing is wrong. I mean, uh, did you ever hear of Mother Teresa serving the poor in Calcutta, telling people not to judge her? No. Uh, I, I've never heard people say, don't judge me, when they're forgiving other people. And, and it's, it's always the whole don't judge me when they know they're doing something wrong. Okay, Pastor D. James Kennedy said this, that tolerance is the last virtue of a depraved society. Whenever you have an immoral society that has blatantly, proudly violated all the commandments of God, there is one last virtue they insist upon, tolerance for their immorality. Wow. And that's why this extreme is so attractive to an immoral society such as ours. It's like society looks at the world and says, you know, I have this unlimited grace credit card. I've got this credit card with an unlimited, uh, with no limit. And every time I sin, I charge and God pays off the balance and we're all happy. That's why a lot of people look at God. That's this extreme over here. So on one hand, we could we see uh, a God judging and sending in with hell, or God could just sweep the sin of the world under uh, under the carpet, and you know we love to sin, God loves to forgive, everybody's happy, right? That that that's the extreme, or He could go with option number three and do something that is called grace. Romans 5.19 says this, for though, uh, uh, just as though the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, and the uh, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Okay, God said, I'm going to judge the world as well as love the world, and I'm going to do this by a really strange thing. I'm gonna take my son, whom I love, who has no sin, None at all. Zero. He's as innocent as a baby that was born two minutes ago. And I'm going to let him into the hands of sinful people. I'm going to nail him to a cross and watch him die so that I can maintain justice as well as shower love on the people of creation. That is what grace is. Because Jesus, because Adam sinned, Scripture says, and all of us became sinners because of it. Because Christ was sinless, all of us can become justified. That's what it says. That was what grace says. But I'm going to illustrate this for you guys. I'm going to get my, my little easel here. I'm going to show this to you. This is the way that grace was explained to me, and I hope that you guys can understand this. Romans 6, 23 is the gospel, in a nutshell, talks about grace. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus our Lord. All right? So this is what we see. We underline the word wages, or circle that, All right, write wages down here. The guys in the back, I hope you can see this. The wages, what are wages? Wages are things you get paid for what you've done. You work 40 hours, get paid for 40 hours, hopefully. All right, so wages are just things you get for what you've done, all right? Then we circle sin, What is sin? Sin is that which is abhorrent to God. It is us looking at a holy, awesome God and saying, somewhere, somehow, there is something greater than you. I know what you say, but this is better, and I'm going after this. That's what sin is. It's looking at God and saying there's something better than you. All right? We're death. We circle that. We write death over here. The wage of sin is death. What is death? Well, we have a physical death and we have a spiritual death. The physical death is when your heart stops beating and your brain stops waving. You start pushing up daisies. You kick the bucket, by the farm, you know, whatever it is. That's what you do. That's what death is. Spiritual death, though, the second death as, as described in Scripture, is the sending of you to hell for eternity. That's what death is in Scripture. And because the wages of sin is death, this is what we've got. We've got us right here. That's us, like my art, and here is God, and he's got a beard. Okay? This is the way it used to be, but now because the wage of sin is death, now there is this huge chasm between us, and I'm going to write chasm down here because that's a big word. Okay? Okay? That you and I cannot cross because the wages of sin is death. We are hopelessly separated from God. Hopelessly separated without a prayer. And we might as well try to jump over the moon as bridge this chasm. This is where we are today. If you don't have Jesus Christ without grace. But be God in his greatness, in his mercy, and his love for you. Saw this and said, There's nothing these helpless humans can do, so I'm gonna do something. I am going to put a comma there and saying this, but the gift. What is a gift? It's something that is given freely, not under compulsion, not deserved. It's something that is given. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ and what does that look like it looks like a big cross so that humanity and God can be together again. Not sweeping the sin of the world under the rug, not sending every one of us to hell, but instituting a thing called grace. So what do we do in light of this amazing truth, this amazing grace that God has given us? What do we do with it? Well, I want you to remember three things. Simply remember three things. The first thing, in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The first thing, I, I'm sorry, I just jumped ahead. I, I didn't mean to confuse you in, the, in, your, in your outlines. Let me go back. The first thing, we never minimize God's wrath. We never stop Seeing that we are that we are we can be recipients of God's wrath. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. We shall never ever take the cross of Christ for granted. We never, never minimize our sin or God's wrath. I will tell you this. This is when I know that I'm away from God. It's not when I start sinning. It's not when I start. Uh, a, a, lapsing into trains of thought that are bad. That's not when I know my soul's in danger. Well, I know my soul's in danger when I start thinking my sin is no big deal, that it's really not that bad. When I start thinking like the bachelorette, well, you know, I can do this and Jesus will still love me. That is a person whose soul's in danger. We never, never minimize sin or God's wrath. That which costs... God, the life of his son cannot be minuscule to us. The second thing is that we never lose our gratitude. Hebrews 12, 20 through 29, therefore since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably and with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We never stop being grateful. The two markers when your soul's in danger, when you're drifting from God, the first thing is you start thinking your sin is no big deal, that it's just okay. The second thing, when you stop being grateful to God for everything he has done for you. Those are the two things. Those are are indicators that your heart is becoming hardened and that that your life is wandering away from God when those two things happen. At least I've noticed that in my life. You may have different markers, but those are things, those are red flags, those are alarm sirens that go off in my soul when I know that I'm drifting from the truth. And the third thing is this. And this is where it gets good, you guys. Remember the gospel. This is called good news. Good news. The third is we approach life with confidence. Confidence. Hebrews 4, 16 says this. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I have found, you guys, in my life the grace of God is the most liberating, most amazing empowering thing I've ever found in life. And this is why. This time of year I grow, always grow really reflective. Those of you all that know me and Rachel know that September is a difficult month for us because this coming Thursday would be the 15th birthday of my son who's in heaven. Jacob's birthday. He's only with us for 10 days. And this time of year always reminds me How short life is. How short it can be. Um, Nothing is guaranteed. There's not a single more hour that is guaranteed for you. You are not guaranteed anything. If God was to snuff out the life of every person in this church right now, he would have done us no wrong. Because none of us deserves anything. Anything. We have been given a gift called life, okay? The person who grabs life by the horns and lives with abandon, and the person who lives paralyzed in fear of life, playing it safe in all avenues, they both die, you guys. They both die. The person who goes after God's will with all his heart, risking it all for the kingdom, And the person who sits in the pew every Sunday, afraid to walk outside the comfort zone, both are going to die, y'all. Both going to die. The person who takes risks and does things that may really work out or really crash badly. And the person who stays at a job or a situation in quiet desperation, uh, never risking anything, they're both going to die, y'all. Both. Every one of us. Every one of us today is one day closer to our deaths than we were yesterday. Every one of us. All people die and so few really, truly live. President Teddy Roosevelt articulated this better. Just about anyone I've ever heard, in a very famous quote called The Man in the Arena, he wrote this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. I know we got a lot of people like that in our lives, maybe some in here. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who knows, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Oh, that's good stuff, you guys. That gets me fired up. And that is what the grace of God empowers us to do. That's how the grace of God empowers us to live. Because if you understood the grace of God, if you understood that your past is completely wiped clean, that every shortcoming, every failure, every sin is completely gone, not swept under the rug, but nailed to a cross by God's own Son Himself. And not only that, that your future is completely and eternally secured. If you truly grasp that concept, if you truly grasp grace, there would be nothing you would be afraid of. Nothing that you would be afraid of. You would take the risk. You would go after your dreams. You would stop this fake life that so many people have and you would go after that which God has created you to do. And you would do it so with abandon. William Carey, who was the Father of missions, he said, attempt great things from, for God, expect great things from God. And a person who understands the grace of God lives that way. I want to invite the band to come on back up. The grace of God is whispering in your ear this morning, people. Whispering in your ear, three words, go for it go for it don't live your life in the place with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat playing it safe arriving as safely as possible at death and that doesn't just mean you young people that means you middle-aged and you old people the bible is full of of men women who did their best work most of us had already retired god has given us life He's given us his grace. Let's see to it that we don't waste it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The grace of God frees you from the paralyzing fear that so many feel every day. Your past is completely redeemed. Your future is eternally secure. So there should be nothing in this life that phases us, scares us, or does anything but give us courage. God bless you all.